A lot can happen in just three short days. I wonder if you were to select a specific three-day period in your life which was particularly exciting or particularly memorable and then take the time to dissect it and reflect upon it. I'm sure that if you were to do that, that you would be surprised by how much happened inside those three seemingly short days. It's no coincidence that at Easter time we are speaking of the significance of three days. Our hope is built on the reality of three short days. We've sang songs which have reflected the events of those three days. In the build-up to today we have had joint services with other churches in East Belfast to build towards this point. And as we reflect on the passion, on Jesus' journey to the cross, his death and his subsequent resurrection, this Resurrection Sunday, it's difficult not to get excited about what could happen in three short days. Because an awful lot can happen in just three days. Yet, in our 21st century culture, uh, and I reckon, to be honest, right down throughout history, I'd say we're not all that unique in this. The tendency has always been to reflect on the glorious outcome of any given situation rather than considering the painful journey that got us there in the first place. This has perhaps been heightened by the age of social media where highlight reels of a person's life are, is shown to the world rather than the difficult and the dark moments. They don't make it on to the Instagram grids. They don't make it on to the Facebook feed. They don't make it into the TikTok videos. However, we all know that the reality of life is that it's full of ups and downs. It's made up of both highs and lows, mountaintops and valleys, joy, but also pain. And Easter, well, the Easter story is no different from that. For there could be no joy without pain. There could be no resurrection without death. There could be no freedom without a price. There could be no glorious hope without unspeakable sorrow. Yes, we all know the end of the story and we celebrate that end. But I wonder today, without taking any shine off of this glorious victory, might we also take time to ponder and see it in more of its glory by looking at what happened to get us there in the first place. As we've journeyed in recent weeks throughout the Beatitudes blessings, which was spoken by Jesus on the Mount, it might surprise you that this Sunday we're going to draw that study to a close as we see as Jesus speaks prophetically of what not only we, but he would endure. In Matthew 5 verses 10 to 12 we read, and it's up on the screen behind me, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I can hear you say, I can hear your internal monologue from looking at your faces and it's going, come on, pastor, it's Easter. Come on, pastor, it's Easter. Give me some of that resurrection. Give me some of that resurrection. And I hear you and we'll get there. But if Christ's resurrection is to be significant in our individual lives and in our corporate life as a church, then we can't aimlessly skip over the death which enabled this resurrection to take place in the first place. We've heard it said time and time again from this very pulpit and other pulpits up and down the country and throughout the world that Jesus died the death that we deserved. If you were at the joint service on Thursday evening, we gathered with East Belfast Mission and Mount Pottinger Methodist in Mount Pottinger Methodist and considered the reality that Jesus died the death that Barabbas, who was a rightful prisoner on death row, a murderer and the leader of an insurrection against the Roman Empire, that Jesus died the death that he should have died. As Jesus stood silent and the people cried out for Barabbas's release and met it with cries of crucify him, crucify him in reference to Jesus, a divine exchange took place and Jesus died the death that Barabbas deserved. One preacher puts it much more eloquently than I ever could, and he simply says this, Jesus stood silent for he knew the will of the Father. Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had to treat Jesus like Barabbas deserved so that he could treat Barabbas the way that Jesus deserved to be treated. See, Jesus took the place of Barabbas that day, but not only the place of Barabbas. He took the weight of sin which we deserved and was our debt to pay upon himself that we might have relationship with the Father and in repentance we might know the joys of sin forgiven. On Friday, on a cross, on Mount Calvary, Jesus died the death that we deserved, that we might know life in all of its fullness. Pastor, would you stop talking about life in all its fullness? No, I absolutely will not. For that is why Jesus died, that we might have life in all of its fullness, not just in the life that is to come, but in the here and now as well. But that life, that doesn't just instantly happen. It's not a matter of clicking our fingers and everything is fine and dandy. You see this debt which he paid on our behalf, this gift of salvation which he offers, whilst it cannot be earned or bought by human merit or by being good or upright or saying the right things and doing the right things, it does come at a cost. Most of you will know this, but I used to work in KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, for those who don't know the, the, the anagram of that, right? 
I remember the first day that I started my job in KFC, how excited I was. You should have seen me. I was half the man I am now, quite literally, right? And I remember the manager saying to me, a lovely Filipino man by the name of Mark, just saying, Samuel, take whatever you want for your lunch. Staff meals are free. Well, I can tell you, young Samuel did not see that as an invitation as much as young Samuel saw that as a challenge. I devoured on my first break a six-piece bargain bucket. Just the chicken, not the fries, you know, protein, not carbs. And I remember going home after that shift very excited about the possibility of all the free food which awaited me only to be met at the door by my older brother who had got me the job in the first place because he had moved on to a different job. He'd gone to Domino's, he'd gone to the competition, right? He had moved on, he had got me the job and I remember being greeted at the door and as any older brother did, he asked me a question with a purpose of breaking my spirit. And he asked me, how was your first shift? Because he knew me, he knew what I was like, he still knows what I'm like, and he knew the first thing that I would say was, the food's free. Did you know the food's free? Absolutely excited, absolutely buzzing, only to be met with this response. And I remember it clear as day, and William, if you're watching, I'll never forgive you. He said, yeah, they say it's free, but it's written into your contract, so it's not really a benefit. It's not, it's not really free. Plus, anything left at the end of the night, they just chuck away anyway. So they're just trying to save waste. And I remember going, you skitter. Who do you think you are? Talk about bursting my bubble. But shift after shift, I kept going back. And it came to break time. And it wasn't a bargain bucket ever again, you'll be glad to know. But one day it was a burger, the next day it was a wrap, and so on and so forth. Suddenly, or so it seemed, my size 30 inch trousers started getting tighter. The 15 inch collar shirt had less room in it. And before I knew it, the only thing, thing that fit perfectly was the shoes on my feet. It came at a cost. And that's a silly example. And I understand that that's a silly example. But Jesus had warned his disciples before going to the cross that the freedom that he would purchase for them that day would not only cost him his life, but if they were to follow after him and be his disciples, it would cost them theirs as well. Matthew 16, 24 to 25 reads, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is a, a terrible yet wonderful paradox. You see, Jesus speaks 
prophetically about what would happen to his disciples who, like him, many of which would actually end up losing their lives physically for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Yet in this losing, they would truly find it and life in all of its fullness. See, we live in a day and age where it is unlikely in our part of the world. It happens in other parts of the world and we perhaps don't like to talk about it. But it is unlikely in our part of the world that we will ever have to literally lay down our lives for the sake of the kingdom. However, if we are to follow after Jesus, that means that we have to hand over to him our life. Our plans our ambitions, our hopes, our wills, and our desires, and surrender them to him. Take up our cross and follow after him. If we had more time this morning, I would dive into each one of those individually. But the psalmist writes that those who are faithful to the Lord, he grants to them the desires of their hearts. It's not that we are giving over our wills and over our desires willy-nilly. It's that we're giving them over to him and he is changing them and he is conforming them more to his will and his desire. His will and desires which we are told are good and pleasing and perfect. We hand him a dud and he hands us back the real thing. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A theologian by the name of R.T. France writes that it being righteousness indicates a whole orientation of life towards God and his will. In other words, righteousness means that we do a 180, that we turn from our way and turn to God's way. And when we live like this, when we take up our cross, just as he did on Good Friday, and follow him up the hill to Calvary where he was slandered, where he was beaten, where he was scoffed, and he was reviled, yet for the joy that was set before him, still endured the cross. When we take up our cross, we are surrendering our will to his. And he makes us righteous. And he makes us holy. And he grants to us life and life in all of its fullness. And to those who don't know Christ personally, we're told that this is, the scriptures say this is folly. That this is foolishness. It just doesn't make sense in earthly terms. Everybody wants to be loved, don't they? Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants everyone else to have as good an opinion of them as is possible. Human nature almost dictates that the majority of people have this pathological need to be universally liked. I remember the thought I remember the thought that there were people out there that didn't like me and how that used to keep me up at night and how I realised that as it kept me up at night, I wasn't getting very much sleep because actually 
There were plenty of people who didn't like me. And then I better just make peace with that reality. A guy by the name of William Barclay says that Jesus was clear that he had not come to make life easy. He had not come to make life easy, but to make men and women, to make humans great. Christianity caused the first Christians to suffer. See, to take up our cross and follow him, it requires a little bit of sacrifice. It requires each one of us to declare with the, the hymn writer, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. In a world that shouts, give us Barabbas, may we be a people who cry, give me Jesus. Following Jesus is costly. It's costly, but it's so worth it. The pros far outweigh the cons. See, when we're making decisions, is anybody a wee bit like me? And either they write it down or they make a mental note and they weigh up the pros and cons. I mean, maybe if you don't do that, you've seen it on the TV and people are making lists and they're making pro columns and they're making con columns. And if you've watched Friends, you know that Rachel finds Ross's pros and cons column and it causes an absolute disaster, right? But in this case, the pros well outweigh the cons. Jesus also said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his very soul? The price that Jesus paid that we might know him and know him intimately is the basis of the greatest love story that has ever been told, is currently being told and will ever be told. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that people won't make fun and poke fun and call us Holy Joes and other less pleasant things. And it doesn't mean that we won't be excluded. It doesn't mean that just because we follow after Jesus that everything will be roses in the garden all of the time. But what it does mean is relationship with our creator. What it does mean is truly living. What it does mean is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or as Charles Wesley, the hymn writer said, no condemnation, now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. What it does mean, what it does mean is the joy of sins forgiven. What it does mean is that we have purpose and we have direction in life. What it does mean is that we get the privilege and honour of walking the path that Christ walked and knowing the nearness of his presence and his grace as he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. What it means to take up our cross and follow him. What it means to choose him above all else is that we have access to the Father.
access to the throne room of grace and a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And lastly, what it also means is this, that on that day when he comes back for his own, we will be raised with him. Barclay goes on and says, Christ still needs his witnesses. He needs those who are prepared not so much to die for him as to live for him. The Christian struggle and the Christian glory, that being that we are his and we're raised with him. The Christian struggle and the Christian glory still exist. So will we live for him today? Will we die to self and die to the world that we might experience the glorious resurrection with Christ? Because it's Easter Sunday and we finally got to the tomb. The tomb is empty. In Mark's account, the angel says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. He has risen. He's not here. The tomb is empty. And that is a cause for glorious, glorious hope. Hope which we must take hold of. Hope which we must realise. Hope that we cannot live off somebody else's understanding of that hope. But hope which must become an individual hope. Hope that does not disappoint. Hope that does not let us down. Hope that holds us fast. And hope that is for everyone. But church, Sunday's resurrection couldn't happen without Friday's cross. Sunday's empty tomb could not happen without Friday's death. Without Christ's submission to the will of the Father, the truth is that you and I would be eternally lost in our sins with no hope of escape and headed for an eternity separated from God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says to be Christian ultimately is to be like Christ. And no one can ever be like Christ without being entirely changed. We must get rid of the old nature that hates Christ and hates righteousness. And we need a new nature that will love these things and love him and thus become like him. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And the good news is next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday too. And the Sunday after that, you've guessed it, it's Resurrection Sunday. Today and always, the tomb is found empty and it will be forever empty. Christ has won the victory over sin and death and has risen with the keys of hell in his hands. And today, the good news for you and for me is that he offers to each one of us that same victory. Victory which was bought with his blood, which was shed, and his body which was broken. Victory which calls us 
as the people of God to take up our cross and follow him. For the taking up of the cross and surrendering to the will of the Father for our lives, just as he did, leads to life, and you've guessed it, life in all of its fullness. Through Christ, it leads to glorious resurrection. Glorious resurrection for those who, like me, were once dead in their sins and transgressions, that we might be raised alive, alive in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, whose very death made it all possible. You may have noticed that behind me, the communion supper has been prepared and I'm going to ask Stephen and Joanne if, if they would come. And we're going to do it a little bit differently today. And, and I, instantly I can see people shrink back. I don't want you to shrink back. There's something incredibly powerful whenever we physically, on the outside, make a stance and make a step that perhaps we have already made in our hearts. So as Stephen and Joanne do come, and as they prepare the elements, I'm going to ask them, and we're going to do it in front of the camera so that nobody watching online or anything can see, because this is between all of us. Just get it ready there, please. If you're ready this Easter Sunday to count the cost and to take up your cross and follow after him, I do invite you as we sing our closing song together to come and to take of the bread and of the cup. And as you take the bread, take it and eat it and reflect and make that admission to your saviour that you need him. But also take of the cup. And I instruct you to hold it. And we will drink together as a sign of our unity. And for those who are perhaps unable to come, we will, once everybody else has had the opportunity, we will come to you and we'll make sure that the worship team, as they lead us, are also able to partake of this meal together. But there's something incredibly powerful about taking a visible step that you may have taken inwardly and say today, this Easter Sunday, I recognise that he took up his cross for me. And today, I'm going to take up my cross and follow after him. So if you are able, let's stand together and let's sing. And as we are singing, please feel very free. Don't wait for anybody else to come and partake of this meal together, holding our cup, and we will drink together. Let's sing.